You'll Die Trying contains sensitive subject matter and conversations surrounding death and dying and may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is respectfully advised. I'm not too certain where I picked up on this statement, but I believe it carries weight. You can't really know where you're going if you don't acknowledge and know where it is you've been. These last few episodes, I, uh, I hope, have painted this picture of why, why I'm sitting here telling stories like these. I think we have to. People, things, don't die until you stop talking about them. Yes, some things we want to slip quietly in the dark, forever forgotten, high school, middle school, all the stupid crap, shit, whatever you want to say we have previously done. Others we want to memorialize always. I'll go ahead and get this out there. Head over to youldietrying.com. Grab your swag, mugs, coffee, shirts, shoes, none of those. Big turkey fed coffee. Big old pound of it. And remember, each and every single week, simultaneously as You'll Die Trying, the podcast drops simultaneously. You'll Die Trying, the obituary drops. Discussing this and every episode that you are listening to at this very moment. This is season two, episode 120. Wow. This is the first episode that I will add a second disclaimer. Respectfully, to those of you who have lost a child or have experienced death recently, this is an extra disclaimer for you. I want to reverently inform you that we'll be discussing the tragic deaths of three little children. A very personal experience that I've kept close internal, only confiding in those who have been a part of this two weeks of hell, watching a family experience one loss after another, after another, prolonging and dragging out any possible glimmer of closure while a community, state, and country even checked in on every move of the parents, pastor, children, which, of course, indirectly meant us. The family have permitted this podcast episode. I will say that again. The family have permitted this podcast episode. Yes, of course, you can always send an email to hello at youldietrying.com. You can follow us on Instagram at youldietryingpodcast or Nathan Morris. Please send love and support because this and other things such as this are heavy. Please don't throw stones because we're sharing something so personal when in fact we were given permission to do so. This is the story of Ivy Lee, John Ross, and Ireland and the weeks of tragedy and planning we all faced to celebrate them.
As funeral directors, let's be honest, everyone, we are magnetized to tragic events. It's not that we seek them out, hope for them, obsess over them. We are just hypersensitive to their existence when they happen. And we long for the opportunity to help that family right then, in that moment, who are going through the events big enough for cameras to point, notepads to flip, and pens to frantically move to get all the information down. Car crashes, public figures, share after share, retweet after retweet. We want to help. The fire started in the middle of the trailer, which means it was able to spread through the home in half the time. Investigators say that a metal roof was covering the shingles on top of the mobile home, intensifying both the smoke and heat from the fire. I'm not really sure where I was or what I was doing when the phone rang, which is rather peculiar for me because I can actually always recall. I do remember though the Ohio County coroner calling to share the news that we would be assisting and serving the family of Ivy Lee two who died in that house fire July 6, 2018. I had seen the Facebook shares rolling in of the tragedy the previous evening. My newsfeed was filled with stories, photos, prayer requests. When we received the tiny Ivy Lee, who was unable to exit nor be retrieved from the home by her big siblings or parents. I, at that time, had children very close to her in age. It was numbing, really. I compared her size with the size of Everett, my second son. I was only able to compare her through reverent garments and sheets so as to not disturb her. And we understood at this time that there would be a lengthy delay between a mother and father making arrangements for their daughter as Ivy Lee's older two siblings were still alive, thank God, and flown to Vanderbilt in Nashville to have treatment and care for their burned and feeble, damaged, sweet bodies. The mother and father, too, were in Nashville for injuries sustained. Burns, cuts, only to name a few. It's Ivy Lee, who was, of course, pronounced on July the 6th. We received her July 7th into our care. I'm not really sure even the amount of time between being notified by the coroner and receiving her, but it was not for a few days before I actually made verbal contact with the parents. The injuries they sustained burns on and inside their throats and lungs limited verbal communication, and we would text instead. In the meantime, though, I was actually in close contact with their pastor, whom I'll simply refer to as Pastor, a kind, gentle, and soft-spoken man. 
exhausted at this point. He managed to express gratitude on behalf of the family to and with me. He had made trip after trip from home to Nashville to be with the family, to only drive back and lead services at church, prayer vigils for the family. I'm certain kids worship and all the other events that take place in operating um, worship services. Pastor was an incredible servant to many, including myself. I'm not even really sure if I ever truly expressed my appreciation for him. I do know he knows my love, and I just hope that he always does. It would not be the first set of text message condolences that I'd send in 24 hours, though. I I know I'd like to think I'm relatively good with words, compiling emails and stories and public speaking even I can handle. But conveying the sympathy and sadness for and promises to give my all via text, that's tough. July 6th, when Ivy Lee passed away, it would follow with the loss of John Ross, her big brother, for July 8th. John Ross was brought home into our care from Vanderbilt in Nashville to Haley McGinnis the following day, July the 9th. Before 1 p.m., if I do recall, John Ross is placed with his baby sister together. I thought about this and how it was probably the longest that they'd ever been away from each other throughout their lives. And here we are entrusted with them. Pastor and I remain in contact while mom is still recovering, holding tight and close to her oldest daughter, Ireland, still alive. By this time, the story has spread via social media, the mother and church sharing updates and prayer requests while Ireland battles. It was no longer local. This has become a national story. And it's when this happens that funeral homes have to truly pivot outside of what they really know and become professionals in a new role as publicists and security. New stations are calling at this time, strangers all requesting to know if the children are with us. And I do have to give them the benefit of the doubt. Yes, it does seem tacky cold, but they're trying to get information so as to get it to you, the public, and they feel that they are helping, and I won't argue with their feelings because they are theirs. I will share, though, our trick, which we have used countless times before and will continue to forevermore. Something along the lines of, thank you for your inquiry. We have not been notified by anyone at this time, and we would not speak for the family if we were. Please refer to morrisfamilyservices.com where our latest tributes of those we are caring for are up to date, and we are absolutely appreciative of your understanding and respectfulness. Of course, at this point, we have definitely been had. However, I'm pretty certain we've been had for a long time before this, but 
This is me telling on ourselves. Over the coming days, I received daily, often hourly updates from pastor or mom. The logistics were playing out, trying to make sense and plan for something far bigger than ourselves. Two little babies' funerals while mom and big sister recover. Mom and dad stay with their oldest, knowing that their two youngest are at a funeral home. Double everything. Most funeral homes have only one hearse. How do we accommodate? How, where would a funeral even take place for these little babies with a following and support as large as we are now seeing? We knew the pastor who presided. How long do we hold off? We will hold off as long as we must, but how long? Humans are weird. We're always asking how long. We want to know. It's what we ask when we hear a terminal diagnosis. It's what my kids ask when we, they figure out the next upcoming holiday. It's what I was asking in this moment. How long? I have a confession. And since most of you listening are either in this profession and totally get it or are intrigued enough by what we do, you would appreciate this. Ever since I was asked by a 93-year-old veteran pre-planning his funeral, who be disinterring his wife's, wife's body upon his death and sending them both to Arlington because this gentleman served in three wars, served our country for 40 years, deserving of such reverence going to Arlington to please check on him every day because he didn't want to be alone. Upon his death, I did keep that promise. He knew his body would remain with us for months while we worked logistics. Between the funeral and transport and burial in Arlington was nearly four months. I checked on him daily. Quick, simple, kind. But I did. I checked on Ivy Lee and John Ross just the same. The thought of them alone did not set well, but they were together. From the day we received John Ross, between all the phone calls with pastor, mom, pastor again, mom, mom, pastor, text after text, picture messages, and deciding what to write in the obituary tributes for the two babies, I did. And then July 22nd, 14 days, after John Ross died, Ireland, the eldest sister too, passed away as a result of this terrible house fire. The same and swift steps to get John Ross home were carried out just the same to receive Ireland. Three beautiful and life-filled children weeks ago all repose together now in death in our care, in our care center. It's heartbreaking. Mom and dad make the lonely and awful drive home, sore, scarred, and alone. They don't get the embrace of family and friends to receive them. They come straight to the funeral home alongside pastor to determine how, when, what, we will now do to celebrate these beautiful children and the beautiful lives that they have lived. Wherever your worship leads you, I am certain most lead the same as mine. 
those perfect, holy, innocent children were in heaven, a place believers live lives in hope of obtaining the same reward. But they are there, and we at this time will celebrate their eternal glory. Batesville does not make children's caskets. No one should really have to. It's not how it's supposed to happen. We grow up, grow old, grow into adult-sized caskets for our elderly bodies to one day fit inside. Cherokee caskets is who we call upon. Cherokee has devoted their lives to children and their grieving families by providing beautiful caskets for children, from babies of all sizes to teens. Mom selected white metal caskets with matching accents and handles. July 6th would be the last time mom and dad, anyone, would see the children as they were always remembered. Each child's casket closed. I remember the outfits mom and dad brought in. I remember the bows. I remember the pants for John Ross. We'd still dress them in their pretty clothes. They forever sleep in. Lovely, matching matching caskets. Music was selected. First Baptist Church, the church kind enough to extend open arms to accommodate the family, crowd expected, and live stream. If you recall earlier in this episode, the story of the children spread across Facebook, gathering support from all over. Many would want to virtually pay respects. Somehow now, more common with COVID, live stream. But during this time, though, it was not. And with the thousands planned to virtually attend, FBC had adequate internet for more than enough traffic, but not this traffic. But we wouldn't know of this major challenge until the day of their funerals. I'm not really sure how to explain sleeping while heavier moments in funeral planning is actively happening. Perpetual mental strain. But needing to cross one more item off of that list keeps you awake. All the unknowns are now known. The service, times, caskets, songs, clothes, words, memory portraits, now to carry it out for them and flawlessly. In our profession, we're having to reverently fight in quotes, crowds, all these gentle excuse me's always tend to eat away precious timing. Meaning if something needs fixing and you're across the way, you're oftentimes at the mercy of your colleague knowing your every working thought because otherwise your subtle sign language and hand signals, they just fall on deaf eyes. And not to mention you look absolutely ridiculous. Everything is an experience to us, for us. We are meticulous. We hold powwows in our reception room before any and all funerals. Of course, we have monday.com to notify us days in advance, but we still do before action reviews or thorough walkthroughs. This celebration needed one for sure. Three hearses, all matching in color, arrived and were washed and ready to transfer the loved ones to the church for their visitation and funeral celebration. 
Their order was calculated. Who would drive what vehicle? Who would stay with the children before we discreetly bring them into the church? Where all the flowers would file in from? We had eight support staff assisting. Every door was long in advance assigned. Someone would also be assigned at the register book. Gesturing and words were reviewed. Never point. That's what scolding teachers did in the 90s. Open hand, guiding, always. Flowers placed with intention. The street to the west of the church was blocked off for the family limos and vehicles of the family to comfortably and privately park. Through the cooperation and assistance of law enforcement, church staff, city workers, we swiftly and smoothly carried this out. Nothing overlooked, nothing forgotten, no undone task or request. First thing that Saturday, all nine staff assigned to the children gathered, fully aware of the tasks at hand. Being a weekend morning, not many were out when all three hearses and two limos pulled out of the funeral home lot, one after another. Those who were knew who we were serving. Abrupt stops. No lights necessary, no escort, still and somber as we all pass. The drive to the church is six blocks from our funeral home. And I wasn't anxious at this point. I was aware of what was needed of us for them and the family. Inside the church, after the last flower was placed, We received mom, dad, pastor, grandparents, and those closest to them, walking them toward the sanctuary. We passed by their private family area first, a place most necessary in times of grief, a place of retreat and privacy. By the register book, memorial folders printed with the prettiest of photos of the children. Down a ramp and around a corner, where flower after flower Quilts, photos, and soft music might as well not have even existed because the family were walking into the toughest of realities. The parents walked around the half-circle sanctuary to the front of the altar where, from eldest to youngest, their babies lie. I step back off to the side, frog in my throat like everyone else who was privy to this moment. After some time, I simply step up, confirm it's comfortable for me to step away and for them to be present as just a family. I step to the back. I gather my thoughts and step around the church towards the front where my family, staff, are already playing crowd control. The line is gathering outside just moments after the family's private time, which is most always one hour before the posted public visitation. Our hospitality group assigned to the doors to greet and see visitors to the appropriate placement began doing their task. 
If you haven't gathered, this church is huge, massive, like really big. To get from the front to the back without disturbing the family inside takes a solid five minutes to walk around. Communication, remember, uh, can always be tough. Hand gestures wouldn't have even covered this. So we used headset radios. Picture those that you see Secret Service using in all those movies with those earpieces, Mike tucked behind a suit lapel. All but the earpiece are hidden by the suit jacket, so all nine of us communicated this way. It was quiet, private, and very organized. We always knew where the other was, if more memorial folders would be needed, if we needed to hold the line back. I want to encourage this consideration if you never have thought to use these before in funeral service. Sure, you can text, but nothing says inhospitable like a funeral director on their phone, text messaging, head down. Even if it's work-related, it looks tacky. After checking on the family and receiving their blessing, we open the doors to the church. The lobby behind the doors is full. Three sets of double doors have lines which filter to the center aisle, around to the right, and then back out. A staff member was at each winding turn to direct the flow and I off to the side, tending to the family. And there was not a single moment where the line shrunk, always out the church and into the lobby. The family, they stood on their feet, shaking the hands of everyone, who came to show their love and respect. As an act of reverence, our staff did not rotate from our assigned position. Memorial folders stayed stocked, water for the family, tissues for those mourning, whether in line or in pew. And then, and then the live stream challenge. The church was equipped, if you recall, for Sunday worship and streaming, but, but not for the amount of traffic we'd encounter here. I will forever be grateful to the gentleman at the church and the local internet provider who on a weekend when utility companies are not in the office were able to coordinate and essentially flip a switch on to get one gig of internet speed for, for just that day so that there wouldn't be a lag of any kind. With less than one hour to spare, I recall looking up on the balcony where the sound and lights were and getting a thumbs up from the gentleman who assisted me in seeing this through. And if you are listening, you are honored. Superior, exceptional service. Everyone in line, they were all greeted, first by my staff and welcomed and received by the family. One by one, not one person turned away. We were somehow able to stay on time, which is an instance like this. If we were late, no one would have cared, I'm pretty sure. But we did. The last person in line was received, and the church at this point is full, shoulder to shoulder, not a single seat. People stood along the walls, in the lobby, People were seated in the lobby with Facebook pulled up on their phones, knowing that they could be in the area and still see what was happening. 
the church had screens up projecting the service as well. After getting the family seated in the front row, pastor in the back was notified of the time. I could get granular in detail of our every step, but the choreography and readiness for this celebration is something we knew could not be anything less than perfect. And my staff did tremendous. It took not only them, but the hosting church staff, other churches and their staff, pastors and a slew of other individuals to carry this out for the family. A beautiful example of the goodness of humanity. The service was streamed where many of thousands who have followed this difficult, delicate, gut-wrenching journey could gather together. No virtual hiccups, not one. Lovely songs were played, personal words were shared. The kids, always the focus. And if you were there physically or online, you'd definitely understand why. Gut-wrenching journey could gather. The procession was just as thought out as the transferring setup and flow. It was promoted to the public who gathered and lined the streets from our departing the church. They were releasing balloons along the way as the three hearses passed by all the way to the private cemetery. Thousands of people, over 20 miles, hundreds of balloons released, first responders in each community we traveled through, parked, standing at attention, all for them. At the cemetery, cars took over 30 minutes to park, if I recall. Every inch of spare grass, the main road, people walking hundreds of yards to gather around the tent and family, the caskets of the children, to go as far as they possibly can, as pastor and many before him, I've heard say. I know it's true. I mean, it's cliche maybe, but that place or places offers those left to ask their questions and grieve and then dance with their grief through this life until they're called is so necessary. The holiest of spaces forever marking those three special children. After the family was escorted back to their limos and the last car pulled out of the grass lot, which was matted down at this point from all the tire traffic, it was obviously too dry to even rut up, I stayed back until all three children were delicately lowered and forever laid to rest as the last piece of earth covered their caskets. The long ride home, I didn't play music. I didn't talk on the phone. I remembered I still had my earpiece in though and took that out. I felt relief. I felt sadness. I felt appreciation. Relief it was over. Sadness to know people I have grown to know and love just had to do what they did and appreciation we were chosen to carry it all out. I arrived back at the funeral home, walked in the back door to perform our AAR or after action review 
thanking everyone for such a lovely and beautiful job. And the phone rang. Again, it was time to go to work. We were needed. There it is. Episode 120. A very honest look into the planning and executing of something so delicate, more delicate than I think that you could probably fathom. And again, for those of you who are hypersensitive to this for personal reasons or for the simple fact that you are a human being and is this has been so tough for you to listen to. Perhaps this will provide an extra added sense of gratitude and appreciation for those in which you share this life with. Because those in which you share this life with are incredible and huge, magnificent blessings. And I just want to take a moment to make you aware of that. This episode has been actually eye-opening for myself. I have four kids, and I should not, and I will not, and I will continue to work to not take moments, even when there is yelling and screaming over who gets to change the channel for granted. Thank you for joining me today, wherever it is in the world in which you are listening. Be sure to visit youldietrying.com. Be sure to Follow me on Instagram at Nathan Morris, at Nathan Morris on Twitter, and head over to You'll Die Trying, the obituary at this very moment. I'll see you around the corner, up on a hill, at 121. Be blessed, friends.